Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, I want to drive the Zamboni. Yeah, I want to drive the Zamboni. Yes, I do. This is episode three of the Seattle Sinbin podcast, and we've got a great show planned for you guys tonight. Uh, in a little bit, we're expecting Brian Robinson to call in for us, and Brian's going to talk about all things having to do with the arena, having to do with uh, with acquiring a team, um, and he's he's not on the line quite yet, but it looks like I've got Mr. Otto Rogers already connected for you guys. So, Otto, what's going on? Not a lot, Paul. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. It's been a uh, it's been quite a day so far with the Seahawks news and everything with Jimmy Graham and all that. Um, yeah. But it looks like um, Brian has now connected with us. And Brian Robinson, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. How you doing? I'm doing really good. Um, you know, before we get into the the uh, everything we normally talk about here at Sonics Rising, um, which has to do with the arena and getting a team and all that. Um, I, I wanted to get your impression. First of all, there was some big news today with the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, what did you think of the acquisition of Jimmy Graham? Oh, man. I mean, for starters, I just love being a fan of the Seahawks. <laughs> They're such a fun franchise. You know, I, I tell people there's teams that are good and there's, team, there's teams that are bad and there's teams that are fun. And the good teams aren't always that much fun. Teams right. just never know what they're going to do and how they're going to push it next. So uh, I'm really excited. I'm a little nervous about losing Max Unger. I think he was a big part of what we did. But uh, getting that big body down the middle, you know, to uh, to be a target for Russell Wilson, I think is, is only good things. And uh, I'd also just like to just say how much how appreciative I am of the Seahawks for being fans of our Sonics movement. Uh, top to bottom, that franchise, everybody saw Russell Wilson. Uh, and Richard Sherman kind of representing the other day and their socks and their socks coats. And uh, those guys are big supporters. Yeah. And, and I really appreciate it all the way through the Seahawks organization. Yeah, they they really have been. And, um, you know, you, you just sense that it's really genuine with them as well. I mean, Russell's always tweeting about it. Um, I hadn't seen Sherman tweet about it until what last week. Um, but it really is good to have um, them so publicly on board. Uh, and you know Paul Allen wants the NBA back in Seattle as well, so you know they they just yeah. seem to be the epitome, the epitome of a great franchise right now. Absolutely, you know uh, some people in the organization have kind of reached out to me throughout the years, and uh, yeah, I'll just say it's it's just very sincere. These are real Seattle sports fans who want the best for our city. They're really not afraid of competition like maybe some of the other franchises in the city are, and uh, yeah, just really want a healthy sports economy. So the Seahawks top to bottom, fun to be a fan of. I'm a big 12. Right. And same here, and I know Otto is as well. Um, so, Brian, you used to be, um, and you still are, uh, a big-time leader in the movement to bring the Sonics back. You, at one point, were one of the main leaders for Save Our Sonics, uh, and then you had moved on kind of to Arena New, to Arena Solutions, and you are the founder of Sonics Rising as well. Um, you're, you're the one that uh, was kind of inspired to bring so, uh, the old Sonic Central over to uh, SB Nation and turn it into Sonics Rising. And it seems like in the last couple of years, though, um, you've kind of uh, readjusted your priorities in life, and uh, you haven't been quite as public as you used to be in the movement. And I, I, I think that people out there will be very curious to know what you've been up to with your life the last couple of years. Oh man, it's uh well it's been crazy and you know, you kinda have to take take breaks. I took a break between two thousand eight and two thousand ten a little bit as well. And you know, Save Our Sonics started in two thousand six and Arena Solution mm-hmm. I think in two thousand eleven. And during both those times, you know, you're probably talking sixty hours a week of work on the Sonics issue in addition to the day job. Uh I got a wife and two kids, uh good business that I own. And so definitely over the last year or so, I've kind of backed out. And uh, the other big part of it is just that a lot of really good people have stepped up to fill the void. 
And so I get a lot of credit. Sometimes I think I get a lot of the FaceTime on television and all that. But when I was really down and out and not doing well, there have been people who stepped up who never got any FaceTime at all. Uh, Paul Schneiderman, Deb Lindy, people from uh, the Seattle Nightlife and Music Association that, that never get any press. And there's the guys at Sonicsgate. And now everybody at Sonics Rising has just done such a good job stepping up that you guys kind of deal with the public and it's it's allowed me to, to kind of uh, have my hours be reasonable and save up a little bit of energy for whenever the next round is coming up because I think it, it probably is coming again. And I, I want to be a part of this thing to the end. And I'm really thankful right. to you guys because you're kind of making it sustainable for me. I probably would have had to quit completely if it weren't for all the work that everybody else does. And so uh, that's what I've been doing. I spend a lot of time with my family trying to – get my business back on track, but I also stayed really involved politically. Uh, I worked as a as a strategic consultant for the Seahawks for a little while, which was really fun, and I uh, have done a lot of work in housing and education, trying to take politics, kind of uh, kind of be involved in things in addition to the arena. So I, I'm keeping real busy, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, aside from uh, arena issues, what would you say your uh, your number one political interest is? Well, I would say that uh, it's just high. Uh, I mean, housing is a really big deal for me because I, that's the industry I'm in for real estate. And the other thing is is education. Uh, I, I'm, you can't really be involved in sports and not get an understanding of how important the youth are, you know. And, right. and you get around all these people who are involved, again, guys at the Seahawks and athletes and Chris Hansen and, and other people who are working with kids and making the community better. And so I would say that, that uh, on, a, on a business basis and kind of for the overall vitality of the region, I, I'm interested in housing, and that's my primary area. But but philanthropically, anything with youth, I'm a big big fan of, of groups like Treehouse that partner with the Seahawks and help foster kids, and I'm on the board at Powerful Schools. And so education is and youth-oriented activities are, are kind of my thing. Okay, great. All right, I'm also so, coaching basketball. I'll throw that out. That's, I'm coaching my you're, son's you're basketball, basketball team. We start the playoffs tomorrow. So it's it's Snow King, fairly non-competitive, but I'm having a really good time. And I always tell the story because when the arena deal ended, I had all these ideas of how to keep involved and how to keep involved. And Chris Hansen listened to me, and he, he heard all my ideas. And afterwards he said, dude, I really think you need to go ha- love basketball again. Why don't you enroll your kid in basketball and coach the team? And I took that advice, and it's one of the best things I've ever done because I really enjoy being around basketball yeah. that way, and, it, and it's filled with how, how old is your How old is your son? How old is your son? Uh, my son, my son is going to be 15. He's uh, a good group of kids. Of and is this the first year that you've done this? Nah, year three. Coaching? I told you right when the when the arena deal ended. So, oh, when the, okay. year two, season three. Okay, and it's going well. Yeah, a lot of fun. That's good. Okay, so a um, couple years back, uh, we get the initial uh, MOU approved by the city council and the county council. Things are looking good. Uh, we get the big news that Chris Hansen has bought the Sacramento Kings, and uh, we're all excited. And of course, it you know it went way south from there. Uh, in fact, I would say that many of us felt worse after that <laughs> ordeal began than uh, than before we even thought we had a team. Um, and then we had some silence for a while. Um, and uh, just recently, um, we've had some, some news begin to rumble uh, since the year began. And it turns out that as the FEIS has kind of dragged along, uh, there's been some competition brewing in the background to Soto, and there there have been some efforts reported in Bellevue. There have been some efforts reported in Tequila, and I was wondering what you thought of, of those situations. Tell whether they're legitimate or not. The, the David Savey site in Tequila has been around for a long time, and I'm very familiar with it from working on a previous project uh, Long before Clay Bennett, or long before Chris Hansen was in the picture, uh, when Clay Bennett was looking at sites, that site was very prevalent. Bellevue was very active back then too. Uh, so I think there's some legitimacy to them. 
And I think there's also some some legitimacy to the names that are starting to, to roll around. Particularly Thomas Tull is the one that I, I think is a legitimate name that is wealthy enough to come in and do this. And, uh, you know, the rumblings behind the scene are that he has interest. So, in my opinion, it's newsworthy, um, and it's something that we should be talking about on the blogs. On the flip side, at some point, you have to compare the viable alternatives by, by how viable they are, and that type of site has a lot of issues. It probably needs an $80 million overpass. Uh, it's going to need the, the entire civic process to go through, uh, environmental, all the stuff we're going through in Seattle. Yeah, it will be much easier in Tukwila than it is in Seattle, but they haven't even started. And you compare mm-hmm. that to where Chris is at, where he has a building basically fully drawn. He's completed just about the EIS, and we're we're literally a, a few weeks away from hopefully hitting the second round of approval. And I think right now, you know, there's a question whether these contenders are legitimate. Uh, the thing that, that I worry about is that for years, I think the competitors of, of Chris's have been trying to figure out how they can get in the game and how they can um, kind of take away his position as the anointed guy, you know, that, that without appearing to undermine the deal. Because no one wants to be the guy who came and undermined the deal that was going to bring the Sonics back. So there's definitely some sense of, of testing the waters messaging-wise to see mm-hmm. if if it were portrayed as, well, the Hanson group stumbled and their site was not viable, and then this alternative came to swoop in and save the day. People are trying to figure out how will that resonate? Will the public accept that? Will they buy it? And, and three years ago, they wouldn't have bought it, or two years ago, they wouldn't have bought it. But now it, it feels like people may be buying it. And so that kind of leads it, the, the question of whether it's legitimate or not is really twofold. One is, has Hanson's group really stumbled, or are they just waiting the wait that they've got to do because there's no team available and it's going to be a process of time? Um, and also, is there money attached to these offers? And Thomas Tull would be legitimate uh, if he was official, if he had, if everybody really knew he was involved, but that's just a rumor right now. Guys like Ray Barzek, Don Levin, uh, a lot of the others that have been talked about, I don't think they have enough money to do it. And until they come out and really have enough money to get this project, they're not very legitimate. I know Jack Sperling was was reported to be involved, as was uh, Lewicki, and I don't think those guys are really interested. There's strong, um, strong reports that that was uh, not accurate reporting about their interests. So... So it's okay. a convoluted spot. Sorry to ramble on that. That's okay. Um, so uh, we're, we're expecting the FEIS, what, on May 7th now. What do you think the chances are one of these groups comes forward before that? Do you think there's any chance at all? Uh, I have thought that they probably would, but um, it, it's it's a bluffing game. I mean, I think that uh, these groups are really leery to come forward because m- most uh, successful business people don't want to take on public visibility on a project and risk failing publicly. It's uh, it's embarrassing. Obviously, we saw uh, how it harmed Chris's reputation, everything that happened in Sacramento. And so someone's got to come out and say that they're willing to take the risk of going public not knowing that they have it in the bag. And they've got to be able to put a viable hockey transaction together, which which nobody's successfully done yet. So I think there's mm-hmm. there's question whether one of these other groups will come out. There's also question whether Victor Coleman will come out with a hockey first proposal. And uh, I think there's definitely a chance that your guess is as good as mine whether it actually happens. They have to get their numbers together first. Right. Okay. So you you mentioned Victor Coleman, and uh, let, let's focus on the bird we have in our hand, which is the Soto MOU. Um, Mayor Murray has has really increased his involvement of late. Uh, it seems like he's really started to personalize it to where he, he sees this as something that will reflect on him uh, if, it, if it succeeds or fails. He's even expressed interest, and he is, the, as I recall, the very first public official in Seattle or the county to say these words, I am open to an NHL first modification to the MOU. Uh, what, what do you think the chances are of that actually happening? 
I think they're good. I think they're good. I Again, someone has to solve the financial puzzle. Uh, one thing sports fans like to do is they like to put the word just in front of something hard and make it sound easy. We just need to get a great center. We just need to, to get a hockey first deal. Hanson just needs to agree to a deal. And, and uh, I think if there's anything I've learned in all the years I've been involved in this, it's just the scale and complexity of these projects is so much more than I had ever thought it would be and then that most people really think it is. And so for someone to put, for, for Coleman to put forward a hockey first proposal, he has to have a financial agreement with the league, the NHL, that's viable. And I think that that part is doable. We've seen in Las Vegas that they're very open to the concept of expansion. Nobody's making any secrets about the con- the possibility that the NHL wants to be here very badly, but but it's still a big transaction. It's a it's a two hundred and fifty to four hundred million dollar transaction, and then you've got to work out uh, some type of agreement. Chris Hansen and his ownership group, which is not just Chris but multiple owners, who advanced one hundred and twenty million dollars into this project, and have really gone out on a limb, and are are far vested in it, and are going to. Hold a franchise ultimately that's going to be by far the biggest occupant. Hockey is big, but it's not the NBA. And so somewhere Mm -hmm. they have to figure out, you know, the various uh, revenue, how much money is going to be contributed by the hockey side, what are the returns going to be, how are they going to split the partnership, is there going to be an option to buy. There are all kinds of deal points and negotiations. And so when people say that the Hanson ownership group isn't amenable to hockey first, I don't think that's accurate, but but what they don't understand is that somewhere an offer has to be made, and it's a very complex Mm -hmm. offer. And so what I don't know is whether uh, Victor Coleman or another prospective owner is going to figure those numbers out in time to come up with a proposal uh, during the NHL's window. And I think that's the big question right now. I think Gary Bettman is is pushing that. I think Mayor Murray is also starting to apply some pressure to say, hey, look, I'm here. We're here. Make us an offer mm-hmm. because we're we want this. If you'll come to us, could just oversimplify it for a second. It, it seems like, uh, and I, I realize it is complex, but it seems like Mr. Coleman needs to put uh, money both in the hands of the Hanson Group and in the hands of the City Council. Is that accurate? I think so. I mean, I this list is going to be a lot easier if Mayor Murray takes a leadership role. So I think we, why we as sports fans should be so thankful for him for, as you said, personalizing it. Uh, when they originally did this deal, the estimates were that an NBA franchise value was $350 million and an NHL franchise value was $150 million. And the, the franchise in the NBA sits as security for the bonds the arena. So if for some reason Steve Ballmer had defaulted on that his arena payments, then the city would have had claim to an NH an NBA franchise worth three hundred and fifty million dollars of security. And uh at the time they felt that an NHL franchise didn't have enough value. There's an argument to be made that, that franchise NHL franchises are now worth three fifty and they should on their own be sufficient to put this deal in place. But I think to mm-hmm. to make those arguments um, to make those arguments, it, it will really help if they originate from the mayor's office. And, and there's probably going to have to be some giver, some give somewhere. There's going to be some additional security, whether it's a direct funds investment, whether it's a personal guarantee, whether it's some sort of indemnification of the city. The, the city is really concerned about not getting paid back on their bonds, and uh, they will want something from it. Right. All right. So. As we said earlier, Mayor Murray uh, has really stepped up his involvement. And when we had, I mean, uh, I think uh, those of us that occasionally uh, hear some inside stuff would say that we're pretty well expecting uh, the FEIS back in January or February. And then when we heard about the delay, it was, uh, I don't know about you, but to me it was a real punch in the gut. And uh, it seems like Mayor Murray has kind of taken the reins on that and he has established a deadline of May 7th and uh, what in the world has taken so long for this FEIS to get done, Brian? I mean, we're working on what, two and a half years since the original MOU was passed. 
Well, I'll give you a bunch of reasons, and you can sort out for yourself what, what you think. For one, I think that uh, Chris Hansen really took some time off after Sacramento. I don't think anybody would argue that point that that uh, he needed to delve back into his family without speaking for him. I don't. My impression watching him was that he was a guy that do what I needed to do and get back with the family, get back with the business, get life back on track. And I think that the arena project kind of just got put on hold by everybody here. Then you had a mayoral race that was fairly hotly contested uh, that, that interfered with the leadership and the mayor's office. You had two DPD directors, and you've also had the, the Bertha fiasco in the tunnel. And I think that all those things combined with just the, the general difficulty of utilizing that freight and transit corridor for professional sports and the opposition of the Port of Seattle and the Mariners have made it a, a long, hard, and grueling process. And like you, I got – January, was a, I was mad when that thing got delayed. And it was the first time where I really kind of started to doubt, like maybe maybe these guys – are going to have quite, they're going to have difficulty getting it done at all. But there's two ways to look at it. One is that it's taken a lot longer and been a lot harder. And the other is that they're still working at it. Despite all the mm-hmm. adversity, despite all the costs, uh, we're almost to the finish line with this. And, and everybody's going to be a lot happier when the CIS is done. Yeah. And, you know, uh, also the good news that comes with this, I suppose, is when it com- comes time to fight the lawsuits that are going to come, uh, nobody can legitimately walk into a courtroom and say that this thing was rushed through, can they? No, and, you know, I, I'm not a lawyer, and I haven't gotten a, any formal legal opinions, but no one seems to be overly concerned about litigation. Uh, I, I think it's kind of expected that's part of this type of political fight, but they've been very dominant in, in the litigation section. Uh there, there's great attorneys involved. McCullough Hill, this law firm, has taken the lead on this so far, and they've been just incredible at getting it. Um, Peter Coldman, all of Peter Coldman's various uh, attempts just dismissed out of hand. Uh, there is going to be a political process. I think, you know, I'm kind of getting geared up for it. You say I've been gone for a couple of years. I, I've been saving up energy, and the, the energy I have been saving is for the next several months in the political process to make sure that no one in city council decides to go back on their word and um, mm-hmm. and change their position on this. And I think that the fans could get a call to action, uh, you know, maybe maybe in May, June, July, somewhere in that range, to come out and, and make sure we remind our city council members that seven of them agreed on this and, and all right. seven of those are still in office. So when we get the report, when we get the FEIS, and it's supposed to be May, May 7th once again, um, I, Jeff Baker seems to has kind of made it sound like there's not going to be a vote until it comes time for um, the permit in in the next year. But is there not a vote that's going to happen soon after the FEIS as well? I think there's going to be a vote sometime around August or September, and it kind of depends on how fast they move it. It also depends on uh, how caught up this issue gets in the citywide elections, with the elections coming to the city of Seattle. And I don't want to bore people with political in, inside talk, but for the first time in the history of our city, all nine members of city council are up for re-election in one election. And it's going to get oh, wow. pretty chaotic. And this could become a, uh, a, a linchpin issue because we have really passionate voters. We've shown that. We have people who come out on a single issue and with, with all the people running for city council, there are going to be a number of city council seats that are determined by 1,000 or 2,000 votes. And, uh, you know, we've shown as a constituency that we can offer that. So I think there's going to be people that the port and the Mariners, in all likelihood, are going to be opposing this thing again. Whether they do it publicly or whether they do it behind the scenes, they're going to be putting a lot of pressure on members of the city council to, uh, to nix this. They're going to be applying arguments and saying, oh, why, why go out on a limb for this? Chris Hansen's already failed. He's never getting a team. Why go out? There's no plan. There's no plan. And, and they're just going to try to kill the arena. And uh, I think right. it's there's going to be a little bit of a tussle ahead in all likelihood. So so um, you're, you're already answering what I was going to ask you, which is what can fans do right now. It sounds like nothing until – uh, the summer, which is kind of get beat up for another political fight. Yeah, and, and I mean, uh, I'll say this. 
what can fans do? Stay optimistic and stay engaged. The, the, what fans have demonstrated in this whole process is absolutely amazing. The, the way people have stayed on year after year and still cared and, and built friendships and, and been there for each other, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. Right now there's nothing nothing else other than just keep keep caring. Uh, the hope is that there won't be a political battle, and I think there's still a decent likelihood that there's not a, an all-out political brawl. That it, that maybe it, maybe a couple of reminders need to be made here and there. But that for the most part, again, seven members of council voted for this. Those same seven are all still on the the commit are all still on the council. So let's let's get them to uh, to just reaffirm what they already said once. Uh, right, if that right. falls apart, then then people will get call, then we'll call everybody out again and. Hopefully there will be some positive momentum on franchise acquisition by then, you know, some some hope, either yeah. in the NHL or the NBA, because that will get, get people excited really quickly. And on that note, um, as we talked about earlier, it seems like the NHL is really hot to get here, and it seems like if an, NH, an NHL first modification gets done, uh, that the NHL will take advantage of that pretty quick. But if that doesn't happen, uh, we're back to depending on the NBA's timetable. And I'm just going to ask you, where, what are you hearing about uh, where we stand with the NBA? Well, uh, for, for starters, let me say that I just I never had any discussions of substance about franchise acquisition with any of the, the inside guys on this. Uh, I, I also have not had a huge amount of discussions around the league for, for a while. But, but I do know from talking to a couple people, the NBA really likes our market. They they really want to find a way to get back here. I think Adam Silver in particular wants to find a way to get back here. We're the number 12 media market in the nation, but if you go on, on NBA demographics for wealth and population distribution, we're much higher than that. We're a top five market. And if you go on growth trends, our city is likely to become a top 10 market um, within a matter of years. It's just, it's just a matter of when and how. So I think that the Milwaukee situation uh, is is an odd one. They they have made no progress that I can identify, and yet everybody there is very optimistic that it's going to happen. And so mm-hmm. that is a possibility. I think that uh, there's there are rumors of another franchise out there, but I think it's I think it's, uh, but I don't know which one it is. And I think that it's either Milwaukee or it's expansion. I think the NBA is saying we're not interested in expansion, we're not interested in expansion, we're not interested in expansion. But I think they're a little more interested than they let on. You know, they have a chance to get a lot of money for an expansion franchise right now, and there's no guarantee that every franchise is going to sell for $2 billion or even $800 million like the, the Hawks are reportedly being offered. And if they have a chance to get big dollars for expansion right now and get into a top market, and another step that I think is really important to them, which is, add more player positions because if they add more player positions, they're going to reduce the overall average salaries of players. And I know that's an issue of real concern for them that when this new collective bargaining agreement kicks in, you're going to be getting backup point guards making $12 million a year. And how do you ask Hmm. for a public subsidy when you've got that going on? So if they added two more teams via expansion in 2017, they could add 24 more player slots, split the money down a little further and, uh, and, and, drop the dollars, not that the players get total, but that the individual players wind up making. And you mentioned 2017. Is that around the time of the next labor dispute or after the labor dispute, hopefully? Because uh, it seems like there's you know, going to be a labor dispute going to happen. It, it seems like there's going to be a labor dispute that's going to happen. I think most people are expecting one. Maybe it, it somehow gets averted. Uh, there are a lot of people who think that the league will not address the Seattle situation until after the collective bargaining agreement. I tend to have a different opinion because I look at the historical precedent, and I think a big part of the reason that they moved Seattle to Oklahoma City was that they wanted to take care of all the problems before collective bargaining impacted public perception and before collective bargaining impacted their whole system. I think they were scared of kind of the unknown. And so... Mm -hmm. What I think it's really interesting about 2017, if we have a looming labor agreement and you have a building ready to go here and Milwaukee is just sitting there with no answers, 
I think there may be a sense that they're that if they can't get a deal done before the collective bargaining dispute, how can you get one done during or immediately after a big collective bargaining blowout when all the player salaries have been tossed around the headlines, when there was a year of no no revenue coming into the Bradley Center, when, when all of that garbage and dirty laundry is aired. So that's that's where I could see them wanting to say we have to have an answer in Milwaukee or we are going to take action to move that team before a collective bargaining agreement impacts our public perception. Right. So. Well, Brian, I, I know I speak for uh, all of us at Sonics Rising when I say thank you for everything you've done for us, and I know that in the near future you're probably going to be doing a lot more publicly, and uh, I hope you've got enough of a rest to uh, be ready for the next phase of this. And uh, I want to thank you for coming on, and uh, hope you have a great night, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you, man. Really appreciate all you guys so much, and all the fans of the website, too. It's uh said it's the only reason I stay involved is because it's so special. All the people who've been there through all the years, way back in Sonic Central, a lot of them still post, and uh, I do read quite a bit. So, thanks to you guys. All right. All right. Have a good night. Have a good night, Brian. You too, man. Bye. All right. Okay, that was Brian Robinson, the founder of SonicsRising.com, the uh, one of the main leaders of the Save Our Sonics movement, one of the main leaders to bring the Sonics back, and and in, in relation to that, Otto, what did you think of uh, that conversation we just had with? Oh, I mean, we definitely got a lot of kind of maybe not new information, but kind of things that helped clear up some of the thoughts. Um, Seems like the Thomas Tool uh, um, that name seems a little more legitimate, and maybe Jack Sperling and uh, Todd Lewicki probably maybe not as um, interested in the project as we might have heard before. So that that was one of the uh, key yeah. things that I took away from the from the interview. Yeah, he also seemed to express some doubt that uh, Ray Bartizek has the resources to pull this off, at least for a hockey first scenario. Um, so, um, you know, I guess time will tell, Otto. Uh, we'll we'll find out how serious these these guys are. Um, uh, if they come forward, we'll know it's serious, and if they don't, we'll know right. that, that they weren't. Um, right. In the what, meantime, what I. Think... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, no, go ahead. What did you think of uh, uh, Brian when he when uh, his optimism about perhaps getting either the Bucks or expansion before the collective bargaining agreement in 2017? What did you think of that? Well, I'll tell you that um, if you remember, we at Sonics Rising, uh, I think it was late last summer, we reported that uh, the NBA was having behind the scenes discussions about expansion. And in spite of everything that Silver was saying, uh, in fact, yes, they were discussing Seattle, and yes, they did want to come here. Um, and, you know, so far they've said nothing publicly to back that up. And, I, you know, I honestly don't know what to think anymore about that. I mean, I think, I think Brian knows some people, and he's probably, uh, you know, heard some, some good things. Um, yeah. And I know that I know that Kevin is go to continues to hear good things behind the scenes uh, from yeah. from some of his from some of his sources that yeah in spite of what the NBA says in public when we get our FEIS done they may sing a different tune there's only one way to find out and that's to get the FEIS right. done yeah. you know yeah and, and same with the NHL if if we if we get the FEIS done, if we if we even get the the, the NHL first modification, um, we're going to find out if they want to be here, because if we right. have a workable MOU and we have a shovel ready arena, and they and if they want to be here, they'll fig- they'll figure out a way to get here, and if you know, and they'll figure out what, figure out a way to do it before the the MOU is, expires, and if we get this FEIS done and they don't come within the term within the time limit of it, we'll know that they didn't really want to be here. And But truthfully, the only way we're ever going to find out is get that thing done, honestly. Yeah. And, uh, well, and, so and his, second, I'm sorry. Um, the, the second big thing that I took away from um, his daughter, I guess the third piece is how, um, he, you know, he's expecting maybe 
uh, kind of le- letting fans know to kind of get ready that we're going to have to start, uh, you know, start ratcheting up, you know, the fans kind of start making some noise again, you know, in the end of, into the summer to kind of keep the politicians, like, kind of, you know, let, remind them of, you know, what they, you know, who, you know, who votes for them and what they, you know, what what kind of, uh, you know, things that, you know, consequences for, you know, if they, you know, if they try to go back on a deal that they agreed to. So that kind of, yeah. that was kind of another big piece for me. Yeah. And, you know, that, that kind of jives with what Jeff Baker has said in that he expects kind of a bare knuckle brawl, quote unquote, bare knuckle brawl. And, you know, I, I got the impression that what Brian was saying was, you know, get ready. Uh, the fans may have to uh, get a lot more involved politically again. He didn't seem like it didn't seem like to me though, and maybe you got a different perception. It didn't seem like it was going to be as intense as it was three years ago. Because if you remember, that was a bare knuckle fight, and it was yeah, it was constant. Um, and I'm really hoping that it not to be that intense again. I'm really hoping it's just a matter of you know one or two uh, Twitter campaigns, some email campaigns. Um, yeah, you know, and I think. One of the things I've learned since that last time was I occasionally sent some some emails that you know I probably wouldn't send right now. I you know the tone of them uh, probably yeah. is probably a tone that I wouldn't use. I, I think hopefully grown in the last couple of years to know um, how to be a better lobby and how to be more effective. Right. And you know uh, it's never you know demonizing people usually doesn't work. And hopefully we right. can do it without that part of it this time. But, you know, I'm optimistic so, about getting this done this summer. Yeah, me too. So, Paul, what you're saying is no uh, no uh, hashtag Port of Arena facts uh, campaigns uh, on social media. <laughs> you remember say, that? Say that again. Say that again. We, uh, there, we had a – it was like, an eight, uh, like a one-day period where uh, Sonic's Rising and Brian and everybody, we, we kind of marshaled uh, everyone to have uh, – these uh, Port, of, Port of Arena had a bunch of facts they were putting out uh, in opposition about oh. uh, Soto. Well, and so we, we, a lot of us got together and we started <laughs> doing these Port of Arena facts with the hashtag and actually had a trend yeah. for a while. So that was, that was pretty good. <clears throat> it did, you know, that part, um, that may depend on the port. And um, yeah. if, if the port comes out and they start demonizing uh, our issue again, um I, I don't think we're going to have to demonize the port. I think they're just going to make a fool out of themselves, you know, on their own volition. And um, I, I don't think a response campaign like that would hurt if it, if it becomes necessary. But I, I'm just really hoping we don't have to do that. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, the mayor makes enough progress on things like the Lander Street overpass um, yeah. to get things, to maybe maybe not get the port on board, but maybe lessen their resistance some. Um, yeah, that may, I, you know, yeah. that that would involve a, a degree of common sense <laughs> that well, we I haven't agree. seen I mean, so far. I think I think I think this is this is Ed Murray, uh, Mayor Murray's time to, uh, if he hasn't done so already, really really kind of get involved with this. And and everything I've seen so far has been really great. But he can kind of be the one to kind of bring everyone back together and help guide this process to, you know, uh, where everybody wins where uh, the city gets their arena that they can be a proud of. The fans get the arena that they can be, a, they can be proud of. And we get, hopefully we get both the NHL and the NBA here. Yeah. You know, and one thing not to, not to underestimate is as much as I appreciate everything Mayor McGinn did, uh, if Mayor McGinn hadn't been in office, we probably wouldn't be at this point. Even I, I don't think oh, we've right. gotten anything done with a different mayor in office, but now that, um, you know, now that Mayor Murray is actually on board and has kind of taken ownership of the issue, uh, there's no disputing the fact that Mayor Murray has a better relationship with the city council than, than Mayor McGinn did. Uh, so, right. so I'm hoping that just the fact that he's gotten himself so involved will grease the skids in an appropriate way with the city council members. Oh. <laughs> um, but it's just it's just really good to have him on board and to to seemingly have to take a ownership of the issue. Yeah. All right, let's shift away Brian was, from... Brian was a great guest, so I, I learned a lot about, like, a lot of inner workings and kind of behind-the-scenes uh, things, so I'm really, I'm really glad he hopped on. Yeah, me too. Let's shift away um, 
from arena issues for a while now, and uh, there's something that's kind of been on my mind. We are approaching the Stanley Cup playoffs. What in a couple months? Something like that. Yeah, we got about yeah, we got about 14, 15 games left um, for 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 all the all the clubs, and so we're definitely getting uh, definitely getting crunch time. It's definitely a time to kind of start watching uh, standings or watching you know who who's on the border and who's uh, making it and who's not. So it's really getting exciting right now. Yeah, it, it seems like it. And I've, I've been watching, um, you know, I've been trying to watch at least a game a week the last couple of weeks, ever since the, the Super Bowl fiasco ended. Uh, oh, I, I got I got re-energized by hockey in a, in a hurry. And, you know, there's oh. been, been some really good games happening. And, I, you know, as we publish this podcast on Sonics Rising tonight, we're publishing it in an article where I do kind of a breakdown on uh, the playoff scenarios. And um, one of the interesting things is I'm, I'm looking at some of the names. Uh, I'm doing uh, some some highlight stats for each team that's in the playoff picture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I pronouncing these names <laughs> is, oh. is, is going to be a real challenge for me. Um, so... Paul, we could have a podcast all, 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 all by itself to try to figure out uh, how, to, how, to, how to pronounce some of these names. So I totally understand. <laughs> okay. Well, let's start with the Nashville Predators. They, they, they currently have a 42-19 and 19 record. They're in the Central Division of the Western Conference. Um, they now the, the NHL has a point system. It's not totally by record. They have a point system, and, and that's impacted by uh, how the games end, right? So if right if there goes if they if it goes to a shootout, they don't get as many points. Is that basically how it works? Right. Essentially, if, you know, if you win in regulation, um, you get a certain amount of points. If you get to overtime, even if you lose in overtime, um, you still you you still get some points. So it's it's kind of an interesting. It's an interesting system. It's not. It's not all uh, win loss. Uh, you definitely get points for losing in overtime and things like that. So, it's you know for, it's, for, for the non-points, it is. It's the deciding factor. So, for for example, if if you finish with a better, if one team finishes with a better record, but another team finishes with higher points, does that does the higher points win out or does the record win out? It's it's uh, the playoff seating is based on the points. So. Let's say, for example, let's say for the, the Eastern Conference right now, uh, Montre- Montreal and um, Montreal, New York, they're they are they are they're actually tied uh, with the most points in the Eastern Conference uh, at 90 points. I'm not really 100 percent sure what the what the tiebreaker is. What if you if you have two teams with 90 um, with 90 points, but it looks like. Um, um, looks like Montreal's number one seed if the season ended today. So, and then there's two. Uh, so you have three three teams from each. Uh, um, oh my goodness, what should I say? You have three teams from, from each, each division. Um, division, and then you have two wild card uh, teams from either division on each side. So okay. There's, there's a total of eight teams on uh, on in both uh, conferences. Right, and conspicuously missing from. Um, from this playoff picture right now, if the if the if the season ended today, the defending world champions would go home. Yeah. What in the world has happened with the Los Angeles Kings this year? You know, I, I'm not I'm not really sure what's going on with Los Angeles. You know, their their goalie play has been has been pretty good. I just think they're not uh, capitalizing on as many scoring opportunities as they did last year. I think they're. Uh, if you if you look at their uh, goal goal average against uh, against to uh, goals allowed versus goals scored, they're only they're only um, they're they're only seven seven goals difference between how many goals they've given up and how many goals they've scored. So it it looks like they're just not scoring as well as they did the last year. So it's but you know what? Here's the thing: they're like the one first team out um, uh, in the Western Conference. If you if you look at if you look at between the fifth seed Vancouver right now through to uh, the tenth seed San Jose, they're only separated by six points. So yeah, it's so anything not, could still happen. Yeah, anything could, they could, you know what Los Angeles can get hot. You know some of these other teams because like Calgary, Winnipeg, they can kind of start falling apart. But you know, you know LA, they, you know they're six three and one in the last ten games. So they're 
you know, they're making their way up, but they need they need guys in front of them to really start losing. And that's not really that's right. not what's happening right now. So. Right. And um let's talk about the central division just for a second. I'm I'm looking at the Nashville yeah. Predators and and they're in first place with a 42-19 record. It looks like they got 91 points. Uh, yeah. St. Louis is right behind them at 41-19, and 19, and I think they have 87 points. So there's four points difference. Yeah. But yeah. Saint, but the Predators have lost six of the last seven games. So yeah. uh, it seems like I they're in a not, strong position, yeah. but they, they, they're kind of blowing it. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on with Nashville. I don't know if uh, uh, if they're if they're starting goalie Pika. Uh, I, I'm not sure if he's if he's just getting tired or, or what, but something's ha- something's happening with that team where they're just not playing as well. I think I want to say they lost the New Jersey Devils two or three games ago, and uh, and then they lost to the I saw I saw them lose to the Minnesota Minnesota Wild. Now both that team has been on a tear, but uh, I'm not sure what's going on with Nashville. Uh, St. Louis right now they're only four four points behind, so they still might be able to catch Nashville. Uh, but Nashville, they need, they need to write their ship because they're kind of starting to lose their grip on, you know, a top-two seed. So they, they really need – I'm not really sure what's going on with them, though. Yeah. I mean, they got great and, and a great – Yeah, and Chicago is in third place in that division with a 39-21 record and 84 points. Um, how different would that be if Patrick Kane had not been injured? Yeah, that's 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 a tough one. You know, I I feel for the city of Chicago that you know they've lost, you know, Rose and and then Kane. So it's, it's you know Patrick Kane. He is a dynamic player, and uh, you know losing a guy like that on your team, it's just like you're losing your and also, I think I want to say he was one of the top three or four uh, in scoring points in the NHL uh, up until he got injured. So I mean, it's a huge loss, but you know they're still they're still kind of hanging around, and you know. They just they still have a lot of weapons like uh, Patrick Sharp and uh, Jonathan Taze. So I mean, they still have a lot of talent, a lot of and Mary Hosa too. They have a lot of talent and a lot of weapons, so they could do it. But man, losing losing let, guys. Let me Patrick stop you. Gaines. Yeah, let me stop you right there. You mentioned Jonathan Taze, okay. and we talked about name pronunciations earlier. I'm looking at the the article I'm writing, and <laughs> I could swear his name is Jonathan Toes. <laughs> but it's t- but it's Tate. You know it's Jonathan Tate. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it's Jonathan Tate, and the only reason why um, I think that's as well is because I, I was watching the game, and and that's how they pronounced it. Otherwise, okay. I said Jonathan Tate, <laughs> but I believe it's Jonathan Tate. But if someone wants to correct me, please correct me. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. But uh, you've yeah. already um, you've already uh, give me a couple pronunciations. So we've got Jonathan Taze, and then you mentioned uh, Pekka. Was it Pika or Pekka? Oh, see, the, now that's another one. It, I want to say it's Pekka Ryan. Pekka Ryan. Do not say that five times. Do not don't say that one five times real fast. But Paul, I think yeah. you and I, I think you and I, we need to take a, we're, we're going to need to take a pronunciation uh, course to get through some of these names. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, so that covers uh, that covers the Central Division. Let's talk about the Pacific. We've got yeah. the Anaheim Ducks on top at forty-two and nineteen. The our our future hated rivals from the North, the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, they're a ways yeah. behind at thirty-eight and twenty-four, and they're eleven points behind. Um, Calgary Flames are in third with a thirty-six and twenty-five record, seventy-seven points. Um, seems like the playmaking ability of Ryan Getzlaff that's helping the Ducks out, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, the, the Ducks, they really, if you, if you look at it, they've kind of been the one, uh, you know, the, the one kind of team kind of separate itself from the pack and the Pacific. Pacific, it's, you know, there's a couple teams in there, but then, yeah, the rest the rest of the Pacific is just, it's just it's not as good as the rest of the Central. If, if you're just looking at a purely, you know, a win-loss, um, Scenario, but definitely Anaheim. You know they've had they've had a really good year. They're seven and three in the last ten games, although they've lost two in a row. But it looks like they're really kind of ramping it up um, with you know down the stretch, which you know which is important. You want to get hot at the right time. So you right. know, uh, especially uh, they they caught they caught St. Louis or not, not St. Louis, but they caught Nashville. So if they can keep on right. winning, Nashville starts losing. 
then they'll have the overall uh, the number one overall seed. So I mean, obviously that's going to be that's going to be a huge um, plus for them if they can get that that number one overall seed to get home field advantage throughout throughout the Santa Claus playoffs. Yeah. Now Getzloff has he's a center and he has 41 assists. Now uh, you have more of a hockey back, background than I do, and we're we're doing this podcast actually on an NBA NBA website. Um, so for the people, for for our listeners and for our readers that might not be as familiar with hockey as you are, um, talk about the center position. Would that be akin to the point guard in in basketball? Yeah, it's it's, it's essentially it's essentially the, the point guard of the hockey team. The, like how how the NBA in the NBA and basketball, how the the offense kind of grew the point guard. The point guard kind of sets up the plays, and and you know he feeds it off. Uh, to you know, shooting guard and, and the forwards. The center kind of does the same thing. You have you have your right and left wing, and those guys are kind of the gunners. And they, they have the outside, and then you have your, you have your center who's, who's in the middle, and he's kind of middle of he's in the middle of all the action. So when you when you have a center, you you want to have a center that has really good vision, that has really good instincts on where where his uh, where his gunners are. And, and you know can make those really really quick accurate passes, and so you know it's typically your the player on your team that has the most assists is going to be your center. So you know, like you said, Riot Riot has 41 assists, and he's the center. He has and he has 61 points, 61 points overall. So and then your ringers, right. you know, you have a uh, uh, Perry. He has 28 goals and 18 mm-hmm. assists. So kind of like a flip flop uh, between. Uh, Perry and, and gets lost. So, uh, th- you know, having a really good center that has a really good vision and really good uh, playmaking skills is, is essential. Because then you need to have someone that can really just feed it off to your gunners who can hit their one timers and and, and uh, score those score those goals. Yeah. Who would you say the best center in the NHL is right now? Who has that reputation? Oh my gosh, the best center. Gosh, I, I you know you. I I <laughs> yeah you know, I honestly if if I, I'm gonna be a little a little biased right now. Um, you're going you're going uh, Detroit, aren't you? Well, no. Well, I could I could go that way too. Paul, you know, Pavel Pavel's playing great, but uh, no, the Detroit, uh, no, Tampa Bay Lightning. Taylor Johnson. He's he's actually from Spokane, and. I want to say he has about he has around 40 assists uh, with that with that team. And right now, Tampa Tampa is hot. They, they're number they're number two or three right now, and they've got um, and they got perhaps the best player in the NHL, Stephen Stephen Stamkos. Um, but Taylor Johnson, he has 40 assists and he has 64 points, and he's from Washington State. Do you believe that? Well. I mean, like, wow. we love T.J. Oshie here because, you know, he was the, the Olympic hero, and, you know, he's from, you know, the Puget Sound area. But Taylor Johnson, I mean, he's going to be a first-team all-pro. You know, I mean, this kid is having a huge, huge, huge year and in and Tampa Bay. So I like Taylor. Um, I like Steven Stamkos as well. Um, he, he's, he's, he's more of a proficient goal scorer, really dynamic talent there. Uh, from Tampa Bay, I also um, also like Pavel Datsuk from Detroit, but that's that's my bias uh, my my bias uh, coming through. And then um, and uh, yeah, so I would say I would say one of the, one of the centers from uh, Tampa Bay would probably be my pick for for a top for a top center in the NHL. Okay, but you right. that can Fair change. Enough. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. And then um, topping off or finishing off the Western Conference, we've got the Minnesota Wild uh, currently sitting at the top wild card spot with a 36 and 23 record, 79 points. And then the Winnipeg Jets sitting right on their heels with at 33 and 21 with 78 points. Now, um, the Wild were they got to a really slow start this year, um, but they made a big trade. To to uh, to secure their goalie position a little bit better back in January, and there's no chance I'm going to pronounce this guy's name right. 
Devin <laughs> Drobniak. 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 Didn't you play for the Sonics? <laughs> Um, I'm just going to call him Devin. Let's, let's just call him okay. Devin. But yeah. but he has he has really bolstered their goalie position. Um, he he's got he, his save percentage is 93.7, and I think um, the next highest guy on that team had around 90 percent, so three percent improvement on on saves. And he's got he's given yeah. them an 18 and four record since he joined the team. Um, yeah. So a goalie can make all the difference, can it? Yeah, well, I mean, Minnesota, they were so far, they weren't even sniffing sniffing the playoffs before they traded for uh, for, for Devin. And every, like you said, ever since they got him, 18 full record, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, he's probably the hottest goalie right now, maybe outside of Carey Price. Um, you know, so it's, you know, having that one goalie is kind of like having an ace pitcher. You know, you, you have the one that can just, who's your stopper? Who Who's going to stop, you know, who's going to make sure you win? Who's gonna Who's gonna make sure that every time they go out there, you know, you're winning? And for Minnesota, it's this guy, and they're gonna, you know what? They're like on pace to to make the playoffs, and and I think I I think they're gonna be a trouble. They're they're gonna be a handful. They're gonna be a handful for whoever gets them because they're not playing like a wild card or bottom seed. They're playing like a top you know top four seed right now. So whoever ends up with Minnesota, that is gonna be a tough first round tough, uh, test for them. Right, and then right behind them is Winnipeg, and Winnipeg has overcome some adversity this year. Uh, they had they had a really talented guy named Evander Kane, um, really good goal scorer, and has a reputation of being a fighter, uh, but had some off the ice problems, and they wound up shipping him to Buffalo, and so uh, it seems like they played better since then. So I guess sometimes maybe it's like kind of like the Percy Harvin deal with the Seahawks. Uh, what do you what do you think of Evander Kane? I I mean talent wise. Uh, I think you and I were talking about this on Twitter. Um, someone of that talent could be someone we would want on a Seattle team someday, wouldn't it? Yeah. Even though I, you know, he I, needs to I, mature. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it seems like he kind of worn out his welcome in the clubhouse in Winnipeg. Um, and so, you know, that might have been one of the kind of reasons why they shipped him off. Um, you know, a good, great talent. He was injured, so that was – I'm not used to seeing injured players being moved around, so that was kind of a new one. But you know, every you know what I've seen of uh, uh, what was his name, Vander? Well, yeah, Vander. Vander? Yeah, yeah. What I've seen, I mean, just he just looks like a really, really uh, you know young talent that looks like he just needs to get some guys uh, playing with him around him that were just as talented, and and, and he'd be able to really kind of uh, be a part of a, a really special group. Um, not really sure, you know. Buffalo, they're going to draft the top three, so you know next year they're going to they're going to be able to have one of the top players uh, from either from either um, um, either the NCAA or the junior league. So you know they'll be able to tie up. They'll be able to pair up uh, Kane with one of the young uh, guys they get next year, and you know Buffalo might be pretty good in a couple of years with 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 those talented guys. Right. All right, let's go to the Eastern Conference. Um, and this is going to be more in your your wheelhouse because you're a Red Wing fan. And <laughs> on the, at, with the Atlantic Division, we've got the Montreal Canadiens uh, on top at 42 and 18, 90 points. And right on their heels is the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, 41 yeah. and 20 with 88 points. And then your Red Wings kind of bringing up the, the rear with at 37 and 17, 85 points. Um, yeah. The you you mentioned this you touched on this earlier with the Lightning they've got kind of a two headed monster at center don't they Tyler Johnson and Steven yeah. Stamkos um, yeah, both Stamkos of them have at least uh, sixty Johnson. points yeah I'm sorry no yeah, uh, yeah. Steve, Steven uh, Steven Stamkos and uh, Kevin Johnson it's, it's, they got a lot of good talent and they have a really really um, a really good goalie um, in um, uh, Bishop as well too so uh, you know they got they got all the the making to do uh to you know have a long long Stanley Cup playoff run too. So uh, yeah. Tampa Bay is and one they, of the teams. They must play on different lines, right? Um, one yeah, of them's got to be first you know, line. Yeah, typically you have you know your your line will be a center and your two wings and then um you know and the but the thing is with with NHL 
you know, they you swap men out. You know, you're swapping in players out left and right. So you're always on different lines, and you're always coming in and off. So you know, you know, um, there's a lot of rotation. So like, you could be playing with a bunch of different players. It's not like Major League Baseball or the NBA or you know the NFL where you got your first team and then you might have like a guy come in like in the NBA. You might have your sixth man or your seventh man on your bench. The NHL, you know, you got your top, you got you got your top three lines. You got nine players, and you're just bringing them in, you know, consistently, just kind of rotating, you know, just to keep the legs fresh. So, definitely, definitely right. a great team in Tampa Bay. Right. All right. So your your Red Wings are in third place. They are uh, actually just five. They're just five points behind. The Canadians. No, uh, but they have, t- tell me why they're tell me why they're going to come back and win this thing. Yeah, you know, I if they, if 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 Jimmy Howard if he can play like the way I know he can play, like just on fire, um, I I think we have a good shot. I you know we we Detroit Detroit traded for uh, Kane and uh, uh, Zidlicki. You know they got some really good veteran pieces to kind of help them in the, in the playoffs. They got a lot of good young talent. They got the kind of the old, you know, the old, you know, Zetterberg and Pavel Datsuk. So they have a lot of good talent. It's just sometimes that goal play can be a little shaky. Um, so, you know, it's it's going to be tough. Man. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous for my wing. But, you know, they have the talent. They have, you know, they have the system that's kind of, that's been there for the last 10, 15 years, which is a very puck control. They control the puck. They move the puck around really fast. Um, so I really enjoy the, the, the kind of system that they play. And, you know, I, I, I think they can do this. Your, your goalie just needs to get hot. If you can get a hot goalie, you know, you can, you can pretty much beat anyone. So, you know, if, if, Howard, if Howard doesn't – if he falters a little bit, they have, they, have this, they have this young goalie called – okay, here we go. Uh, Peter – let me, let me, hold on. <laughs> Let me try to say his name. Peter Mirage. Okay. This is what happens. But yeah, they have Peter Mirage. He's he's kind of the young. He's the next kind of the heir apparent goalie. Um, we'll just so, call him Pete. We'll call him Pete. Yeah. We'll just call him Pete. <laughs> yeah. And you, you and I, I, I can tell already when. One of the ways we need to grow on our podcasts, we gotta we gotta learn to pronounce these names. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, all right. No, I Moving to on it. to the metro. Yeah. Go ahead. What's that? No, go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say, moving on to the metropolitan division. Um, don't want to spend a, to- a ton of time on this because we've already uh, we're kind of pushing the edge of our broadcast time tonight. But yeah. in the metropolitan division, we've got the New York Islanders. Uh, who I guess are kind of the redheaded stepchildren to the New York Rangers, um, yeah. but they've got they're on top of the Met- Metropolitan Division with a 43 and 21 record, 90 points. However, right on their heels, the New York Rangers, 40 and 17 and 87 points, and not far. And another point behind them is the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Penguins. They sit at 38 and 18, 86 points. So, what do we think is going to happen it's, there? It's it's really really. It's really close. I th- I think the Rangers are going to overtake the Islanders, and you know what? Rangers beat Islanders tonight, two to one. So they already did so tonight. It, uh, yeah, it was on. So it was they, on four o'clock. I, I was actually watching oh, okay. It so on network. so, so I'm not the sure Rangers may be in the lead right now. Uh, they it might be tied or they might just be below. But yeah, okay. I love the. I like the Rangers right now. They're playing great. I mean, they uh, they lost to Detroit, but their goalie uh, uh, Cam Ta- I believe his name is Cam Talbot. He is just out of his mind. He's playing. Um, he he took over for uh, uh, he took over for Henrik Lundqvist, uh, but Talbot just recently uh, the last last several games he he's just been playing great. So if they keep on getting great. Goal play from uh, from Talbot. I think I think they'll be I think they'll be in good shape. Okay, and then uh, just hitting the wild card race real quick. We've got the Washington Capitals uh, in the first slot with a 36 and 21 record, 82 points, and we got the Boston Bruins sitting at 32 and 22, 76 points. Um, you know, no offense, but I'm I'm going to go ahead and root the 
root for the Bruins lose, losing out on that last spot <laughs> just just because of the Super Bowl. Is that uh, fair? Yes. I mean, uh, Boston. Yeah. You know, Boston. You know, I think. I think. You know, they've had they had they had some big injuries this year. They haven't played the way they you know everyone thought. And I think they really missed Johnny Boychuk, who who they traded to the New York Islanders. So I think they lost lost a lot of toughness by uh, uh, letting him go to uh, the Islanders. But you know, I mean, Florida. The Florida was right there, but the Florida they just kind of taped it. Recently, and, and but look out for Ottawa. Look out for Ottawa. Ottawa, they they won three in a row, and they're eight one and one in the last ten. They might come and bite Boss. They might they might capture Boss. They're five points off. So watch watch Ottawa. Okay. They're hot. Okay. All right. Well, um, that was just a, a quick look at the playoff picture, um, and I, I imagine we'll revisit this again as the playoffs get closer. Uh, probably not something we'll do every week, but when when the playoffs get a little closer, uh, we'll we'll definitely revisit this and see where we're at. Um, yeah. And Otto, I had intended to talk to you tonight about uh, developing grassroots for hockey in the Pacific Northwest, but I think at this point in, in the broadcast, we've we've taken enough time for this week, and I I want to uh, delay that conversation until next week. It's it's too important just to to gloss over. But you know, Definitely. next week we really do need to have a, a good conversation about building grassroots for hockey in the Pacific Northwest. Right. I'm really fired. Yeah. I'm really fired up about that. <clears throat> and like you said, like we're at, we're near the end. I don't I don't want to give you know the the grassroots and the kind of youth aspect of it you know kind of short shrift. So you know, be able to tackle this topic. I'm really excited to tackle this topic next week. Yeah. And uh, we, you and I, have been having some conversations about what we might try to do, and uh, we're, we're we may try to do uh, a podcast from the Angry Beaver in Seattle in the near future. So I'm I'm hoping we can pull that off. I've, I've started discussions with the owner, and he seems like he's excited about the idea. And I think that'd be a lot of fun, and, and maybe we can have people come out and meet us if we do. Yeah, Paul, I I am I would be super excited about that. Um, because I love their poutine. <laughs> their poutine. And I want to meet and I want to meet everyone as well. So, I want to meet I want to meet yeah. all the NHL Seattle people and and people who listen and people who are passionate about hockey in Seattle. Yeah. And you know, we we might even invite the basketball fans to come out too. Oh, well, you know, I, I guess, Paul. <laughs> no, I'm, I, you know what? I, you know what? I have a long 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 relationship with Sonics Rising and before that Sonic Central, so um, a lot yeah. of the people that you know been you know been online and part of that part of that process to save our Sonics. Uh, I know a lot of them. I've met a lot of them. They're really good people. So um, you know, it'd be great. Well, Otto, it's been fun once again. We've got our third episode under our belt, and um, I, I think it went a little smoother than it did last week. So I'm happy about that. And uh, we're just going to keep keep working on this and getting better. And I hope everyone enjoyed. Uh, this podcast and um, we'll talk to you again next week and uh, Otto will talk to you shortly all right thanks a lot man all right all right, all right we want to thank everyone for we want to thank everyone for joining uh, the Seattle Sinbin podcast once again uh, we'll be back next week with another one with another great guest and I hope you join us so have a great night yeah, I want to drive the damn bone